Good morning, church. Good morning. I am so excited to be able to start off our day today. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Right? Oh, my goodness. Praising God for all of the mothers. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I have a few things to tell you. So, for 2023, the verse that, my verse that God gave me is the verse from Matthew that says, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So lucky you. <laughs> and that's, he has just put it on my heart. And you know, in Matthew, when he says that, Jesus is walking through the community and it says he has great compassion over them when he sees them and everything they are having to endure and everything that they are going through. And he turns to his disciples and he says, pray to the Father because the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. So I believe that he, people have been praying for us without even knowing it. They've prayed to the Father that they need help and they need comfort and they need family and they need love and they need light. And I believe that God is going to use us at First Christian Church in Salem for our community this summer. And I am so very excited about it. So I am here to announce those exciting things. So in case you missed my props from the beginning of the year, it is time again to lend a hand or lift a finger. Lift a finger or lend a hand, whatever it is that you want to do, whatever God stirs on your heart. But this summer, we are going to really do what Matthew says and that we are going to be in the community and we are going to be the workers. And so I'm sure you are now dying to know what this means. Well, we are going to have a few different things. On uh, every Monday, you, you can go ahead and put up the first slide. All right, every Tuesday... <laughs> We are going to have a free community picnic right here in our own backyard. How cool is that? We are going to do whatever we can to go out to the whole community and let them know that this is a space for them. And we have this amazing space that God has blessed us with and trusted us with. So we are going to grill hot dogs. We are going to pass out waters. We're going to hang out, play basketball, do face painting, sit and chat, and build relationships with the community. And we are going to do a hot dog cookout every Tuesday with our community and outreach to them. That is so exciting, which means we need a lot of help and a lot of hot dogs. Now, it might just be us first. But I believe that then God is going to start bringing the community members here. And imagine what that will look like. Then maybe after two or three weeks that they're here and we really are talking to them and building relationships with them. This is going to be so exciting. So next week... In the back, you will start to see ways that you can help specifically. But go ahead and mark on your calendars on Tuesday evenings from 6 to 8. You will be here with us doing that crazy thing called have compassion and love and shine the light to our community. Another thing that we're going to do, you can go to, go to the next slide, is on Mondays for young families, we are going to open this amazing playground that we have that just sits here, right? And we're going to invite any local parents for two hours to have a safe place to picnic with their kids and play games. And I am so excited. What do we need help with that? I need people who can come and help that day from 10 to 12. I need people who can tell the whole community that there is a safe place 
that they can come and have conversations and their kids can play and create that platform that creates moments that are beautiful memories for Jesus. And last, which I don't have a slide for, but you will find out about next week as well, is in July, we are now going to have a free kids camp right here on our space. We're inviting any of the kids, K to 5th, to come here to our space and have an amazing kids camp for them, including lunch. So we are going to do what we were asked to do. And we are going to go out into our community and be the workers that are the few because that harvest is so plenty. And I cannot wait to tell all of the God stories that are going to happen. And I'm so thankful to all of you today. And don't bombard Brittany with all the questions this week. If you have questions, you can ask her. But just wait till next week. And then in that back, you will see all the ways that you can participate. And I cannot wait. Because you know what? Now that we know, now that we know that we are here, now that we know that the harvest is plenty and the workers are few, we have to respond. And I'm so excited to respond to all, with all of you. So let me pray, please. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. We praise you for all of your daughters that are princesses of heaven that are moms today. All of those who are mom figures, we praise you. We thank you that you are allowing us to be your light bearers, to shine your love into the community. We hear your hearts cry when you look upon the people that the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So we will work for you, Father. We will work with you. You are an awesome Father, and every single person in this community deserves to know that. Let us do the radical thing and just walk out and build relationship and say this crazy thing that Jesus loves them. Give us the strength. I pray that you even fill our general fund so big that we can't even explain it, that we know it has to come from you so we can use that and multiply in this community and shine bright. We love you and we praise you. Bless the service today. Pray for, for Brian and the worship team and our wonderful Pastor Leonard. We thank you for him and his heart for you and his heart for this community. We praise you and bless him today as he shares a message. And we thank you for our elders and their hearts that they are always moving further in and further up. We thank you from glory to glory. We praise you. Amen. I got to try and follow that. So uh, it's nice to be with y'all. Um, as she mentioned, stay tuned for next week and just sign ups and everything. Uh, it's it's going to be an awesome summer. Um, so if you want, stand up and we'll praise the God we're here for. As we wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength. 
will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord, we will wait. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord, we will wait. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God. Everlasting God, you do not fail, you won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak, you comfort those in need, you lift us up on wings like. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong Be 
nothing can compare come let us to the Lord who can question any of his words who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous deeds behold be seated. Um,
All right. Well, I'm big and strong like that because my mom said, better eat your food so that you can grow up big and strong and lift heavy, semi-pulpity things. <laughs> so we are grateful for the mothers, uh, whatever form that takes, biological, mentoring mothers, and uh, in the history of the church, uh, we have the fathers of the church and the mothers of the church. And in all of those places and spaces and relationships, the moms of uh, our world are the ones who love, who nurture, who show compassion and hospitality. And we've all benefited from that, and we just want to celebrate that. And um, just add to that whole nurturing feature, we want to give to uh, just everybody who qualifies in that way. And I would say that's just pretty much anybody who uh, is a female, an adult, and watches out for others and cares for them in whatever form. We want to give you a planter. Uh, uh, when you leave here, they'll be right outside the door. And uh, you, all you got to do is add some topsoil um, and then uh, water at some point. And then uh, there's a couple things in there that will guide you along the way, but uh, there's a seed packet. And um, so I'm anxious to see what turns out. Um, so anyway, uh, let's uh, just uh, take uh, that and, 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 and just celebrate um, the substance of the day uh, in whatever form God leads us to. And as we do that, we want to also acknowledge any prayer concerns, any needs, anything you have on your heart that... Um, we want to raise before the Lord. Uh, I believe that prayer works, um, and God answers prayer in his own way, in his own time, but always listens and always says yes in whatever form he needs to express that for his purpose. So anything on your heart today, anything that uh, you want to celebrate? Diane? Are you kidding me? All right, congratulations. Corbin on the 11th. Okay. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Um, I also wanted to celebrate. Uh, we had 27 people yesterday gather for the work day. Uh, our, we were kind of shut down on the outside, but um, a lot of work was done in the building, cleaning things up, just making things uh, uh, freshened up and put in order. And um, we just have a wonderful building, a wonderful space that uh, God's given us to inhabit and I'm so grateful for uh, those who were able to come out and, and just help us to uh, uh, care for the stewardship of our building. So I want to celebrate that as well. Um, anything else you guys got going on? Slade? Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. So I uh, want to keep your mom lifted up then uh, in Mercy Hospital in Canton. Okay. And um, just uh, uh, keep, that, keep that matter in prayer and, and, and words of encouragement. Anything else? Mm -hmm. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and kind of a, a, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see where you're worried about that. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, her name is Katie? Okay. All right, so pray for her as she's going through this um, reconstructive, rehabilitative uh, process, I guess. Yeah. So please keep uh, Katie lifted up in your prayers. Um, okay. So pray for Kathy Martin's brother, who's going through renal failure right now. So I'm sorry to hear that. Hopefully they can get him some help. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear. Yeah. Ms. Lady, I was going to ask real quick, what was Elaine, what, what's her dilemma again? Okay. 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 So she's having some complications from a surgery then. All right. So please keep Elaine lifted up, Elaine Ryder, as she goes through that then. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's just take this moment and, um, and uh, take everything on our hearts and our minds before the Lord. And just trust him with these things. So would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, uh, you gather us together every week as your corporate body. Not only so that we can declare your praises, but that we can be attuned to the needs of the people around us. So thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to lift them up before you in prayer. And trusting, Father, that as we do, that you will be at work in every life that we have mentioned so we just collectively want to place them at your feet and trust that um, whether it's renal failure or whether it is rehabilitative processes for uh, uh, a spine that's not, not in order or uh, just a host of other needs that we've lifted up this morning, we pray that you would touch each life, that you would enable that healing process to occur in a way that those we love are made whole again. We thank you, Father, for being with people that we prayed for in the past, um, for, for being with uh, uh, Mae Bradley's uh, mom in the course of her hospital stay, uh, prayers we've lifted up, uh, some of us for my brother-in-law, just thank you for helping him, and thank you, Father, for just being with those we know who are going through chemo right now, for guiding them on that journey. Uh, we are especially attuned to the struggle that they face and the challenges that overlap into other health areas created through it. We pray, Father, that you would just bless uh, Wayne Lulai and Wendell Goddard, and um, we pray for Liz Elias 
And uh, anybody else that I've missed here that may be going through that, Lord, help us to just understand uh, what their needs are in the moment and find us faithful in responding to that. We also want to lift up the things that Amy brought up regarding our outreach to the community. Thank you, Father, for what you've done in this body to give us hearts that are aligned with those of your son that see people through a lens of compassion and uh, the great love that you have that we first experienced through your love for us, but now we want to see that come alive and bring life and health and just a sense of blessing to the lives of the people in our community. And we think of all the people that are languishing, people that are struggling, that are going through mental health issues. Lord, uh, we don't know what our place is or our role is, but uh, we just want to say we are here in whatever form we need to offer ourselves to help. And I pray, Father, that as we have a clean building, that it would be just a vessel for hospitality, that those who come here sense that they are welcome here and they are wanted here, no matter who they are. And, Father, they may be those gathering in this room today who um, you are calling and you are saying, hey, I want to connect with you, but I also want you to be able to see in my people uh, my heart as, as they share my love through their lives. And so, Father, may we be found faithful in that regard. And just thank you again for mothers that we are celebrating. Thank you for just all the ways that they bring blessing. And we want to bring all this collectively before you. Trust that you will uh, do the things that only you can according to your purpose and your will, and that in the end you would be glorified. And now, Father, as we just move into the end of our prayer time, we want to have our hearts attuned to you in the right way. So help us to pray together with understanding and with intentionality uh, the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to be looking at John chapter 5. And hopefully as we move into this scripture today, uh, it will speak to you in some meaningful way. Um, All the things that Jesus did while he was here on earth, I think, were just a direct reflection of what um, in the minds of the people that were thinking about God prior to him coming into the world, Jesus wanted to show them, no matter what you think about who God is, what your imagination has conjured up, I want to show you firsthand in real life through the five senses what that looks like. So some of us I know come into the room and we're imagining God as the man upstairs or the guy that I pray to when I'm in a moment of desperation. Or maybe you think of God as that person that um, is very disconnected and oftentimes very angry. And I don't know what your vision of who God is, but my guess is if it's anything like mine, I had a lot of thoughts about God, and I still have them, that uh, come correct Whenever I look at the life of Jesus with a little bit more care and a little bit more awareness of what is happening in the pages of the Gospels, and I start to kind of shift in my understanding of who I believe God to be. And I know some of us, we were raised in a tradition that 
was very hellfire and brimstone, and we just felt like at any time God could just let go and that would be that. Or when we go to heaven, after we die, we think, I just hope that when I go, that I just hope that I've been good enough. And the pictures that we get from Jesus really look at that whole way of, of casting a vision for God in a, in a suspicious way, because what he demonstrates is, in a lot of ways, contrary to that. And most of the time, it centers on how he can come into your world and mine and ask the question, do you need help? How can I, how can I come alongside you? If you're crying out in desperation, there's something about the mercy of God that you start to feel when you ask. And in the case of our story, he's going to ask a question to a guy who has a particular need, and um, it's, it's, it's really interesting because this is a watershed moment for Jesus and for the church because it starts to redefine how we not only think of God, but how we are resourced in our own lives by him through his people. So with that said, here's how John lays out this story. He said, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Um, now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic, that's kind of like Hebrew, only it's what people spoke in Jesus' day, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So probably lost you already when I said Aramaic, colonnades, and Bethesda, but just stick with me. Here's a great number of dis disabled people uh, used, to, uh, used to be, the lame, uh, the blind, the paralyzed, and I didn't read that in order, so I'm probably amongst the blind too, and they waited for the moving of the waters. So I'm going to show you a picture of what he's talking about, because for me, pictures just make all the difference in the world. So if you, if you look at the temple complex in Jesus' day, outside of it, and one of the gates that went into it, was this set of pools that had been set up by the, by the, by the previous administrators uh, prior to the Romans, the Greeks. Uh, they had come, and they had established some things there, and Herod built the temple, and, and this complex actually had a lot more beauty. We just see it in this broken-down state. But one of the things that was so attractive about this space were these two pools that were set right outside um, uh, of, of the temple complex, and their whole design was to help people who were sick to get better. Now, the thing is, um, it wasn't anything that had to do with how God wanted people to get better. It was actually part of a program by one of the, in the minds of the Romans and of the Greeks, one of their gods who if you were sick, you could, like we just prayed just now, you could offer a prayer and you could say, please help me. And the, the, the offspring of, of this God, one of them uh, was named Panacea, and the other one was named um, uh, uh, Hygienia. And I don't know if you're familiar with those words or not, but um, they, in the Roman and the Greek mindset, were the deities that you would appeal to if you had a medical need. And in the history of language, those words found usage 
relative to healthcare later on. But outside the temple complex, there essentially are two pools. They are designed from a pagan origin to, to solicit the help of God. These were called Asclepiums. I'm not going to ask you to say Asclepian, because I can't even say it. Asclepiums. And there's about 400 of these pools throughout the Roman Empire. And they were actually in, 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 in basically in, in deference to uh, this god, um, Asclepius. I'll show you a picture of him. Maybe he'll look kind of familiar. So he is the Greek god of health. Now, what's interesting is what is represented off to his side. That is a pole with a snake going up it. And if you're in the medical community, maybe you've seen Asclepius's um, staff with the two snakes twirling around it. And that is a, really a, a key image. Um, and I think it's called a cadimus or something to that effect. Don't entirely quote me on that, but just, let's just go with it, okay? And as you look at that, you're thinking, well, that just makes me think of something I see in the doctor's office or on a brochure that has to do with uh, some kind of appeal for uh, some society, whether it's cancer uh, or lung or heart association. There's always this connection to Asclepius that goes way back that still has, still has a presence now, why am I mentioning that? Because whenever Jesus came into the world, his design was to restore all of creation. And that includes you and I, where we are at, how we're broken, and how we can one day be made whole. And the promise of Scripture is that if it doesn't happen now, it will definitely happen uh, whenever we, we, we go to meet the Lord. And there's a sense at the end of the book of Revelation where it talks about there will be no more sickness and there will be no more brokenness and there will be no more death. And so one of the primary reasons why Jesus came was to restore that which God saw as in a state of chaos. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a real big fan of chaos. If my world is, is out of order too far, I, I get kind of anxious. And it could be whether it's, you know, my house, my yard. And it's not so much me getting anxious as much as the person who oversees me getting anxious and then I get anxious. Same here as well. But all that to say, the sickness, actually one of the words that was used for sickness was actually had, had, had a rooting in the word chaos. So it's kind of primary on the heart of Jesus. He sees people like the guy that we're getting ready to read about in this broken state. And where does he go as a Jewish person to get better? He goes to one of the Asclepiums outside of the temple area. And when Jesus shows up, it's very clear that he has a concern for this guy and his need. But what's interesting is how this guy has tried to utilize the pagan ways, the non-God ways, to get better. And so here, let's just read the story a little bit, and let's find out how that works. So from time to time, 
an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. And the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid. I don't know if that's a good choice of word, but it's, it's the word for just somebody who did not have the ability to operate their arms and limbs for 38 years. So for 38 years, he's hanging out at this pool, and he's hoping against hope. Because I think he's in this place now where he's thinking, I'm going to go there, and I hope it works, but I've just given up hope. And so Jesus sees this guy, and as he approaches him, he learns that, well, this guy has been in this place a long, long time. And so he asks him a question. Do you want to get well? And interestingly enough, the response is, well, it's kind of, kind of indicative of where his heart is. He said, sir, the invalid re- replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So you, got, you guys get what's going on here? The pools are set up in such a way that on a pretty frequent basis, an angel shows up, and we're talking a, a pagan experience here, an angel shows up, stirs the water, and then everybody's racing down to get into the water, and the first one in it finds healing, allegedly. So Jesus says to him, something that I think is significant. Because we go on to read in John about Jesus and another pool, the pool of Siloam in John 9. And there are two different responses here to how the person who's trying to get better relates to the pool. Okay? Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he it was a miracle. It was like, you know, you've, th- you've seen those TV evangelists and they're kind of working people to get up and walk and all of that. And, you know, you get that sense of that. But don't let that define the template for how you look at this. This is just a word, get up, not get up, you know, and all this stuff, you know, and you're just thinking, wow, I'm so shocked right now in my system that I'm going to get up from sheer adrenaline. No, he just says, get up. And it's just a word into the chaos that brings order. And in the opening pages of the Bible, God spoke a word into the chaos, and it brought order. And God said, that's good. And he parted the land, and he uh, differentiated the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon, and he made us, and he said, it's all in order. It is all good. Please don't make chaos again. But Here we are, and brings as God, as an empowering, omniscient, omnipotent being. He takes the chaos, and he restores it back to order. And the guy picks up his mat, and he walks. And oh, by the way, this is on the Sabbath. 
So let's just stop right there for a minute, and let's just explore what is going on. Take a look at the picture of the, of the pool again. So what, what happens at this pool is um, the lower pool is kind of like almost an institution for people that have chronic illnesses that are looking for help. But it's also a place where if you have something episodic, you can go and you can get in the pool. And that's typically what people would do. They would say, hey, you know what? I've been having problems, you know, with, uh, with my ankle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hobble along and I'm going to get in. I'm going to get healing and I'm going to leave. And you'll never see them again. The people that had the chronic ones uh, obviously were the ones who could not get in the pool when the water was stirred. So you never really knew if the person was healed or not because of the churn of humanity. And this guy, a Jewish guy, is looking for help from a source that is other than God and saying, I need to be made whole. And all of a sudden, they notice the water stirring. It's not that the water, there's an angel that just sort of flies down and stirs the water. It's just that they knew that when the water was stirred, the angels were stirring it. What they didn't understand was The water that was stirring it was actually a valve that was being opened in the upper pool by the priest of Asclepius, creating the impression that whenever people were ready, you open the valve, and then the water flows, and it starts to spin in a way that indicates the angels are here, and it just caters to a whole superstition. And in the end, um, it creates a sense of respect and fear And even shame if you don't reference these gods. And this guy, for 38 years, was an invalid. And for a very big part of his life, he spent time here dedicating himself to this space. Now, why is this important? Because I, I, you know, I I think about what is happening in, in healthcare right now. And I have to speak pastorally to it because I hear this every week from people all over the place, a a few things. One of them is how demoralized people who are serving as doctors and nurses are because the the administrative side of it creates a lot of demands that are money-driven. And then there's another side of it where a person will say, hey, pastor, please pray for me. A person I know recently had an issue going on where they were getting a checkup for their heart. And as they went in to uh, see what to do, they said, well, you need a stress test. And upon the completion of the stress test, uh, they were told, we're not really sure, but we think. And then they directed them to another procedure that also created a vague understanding of what exactly was going on. And by this time, they had recommended a kind of medication that actually was very hard on many other organs. And so at this point, the person is just wondering, what in the world is going on with me? So the third specialist is brought into the picture. And by that time, the the flow chart is not based on what the doctor says, but some other unseen entities who are making decisions about the flow of your process says, we're going to have to do a catheterization. So they do a catheterization based on the recommendations of the two prior specialists. And after the catheterization was completed, 
they were told basically, we don't know why you're here. But we also know you had to jump through those two hoops before anyone would approve this. And so the person left basically very happy that all the false alarm of the test that the third specialist said, yeah, that's pretty unreliable to begin with. Now, can anybody relate to this at all? It, it does kind of put a little and total respect for those who are called to the healthcare profession. It is a calling. And doctors and nurses go into this role with the sense that even if they're God-fearing or not God-fearing, they sense that this is a thing I'm supposed to do. And I want to make people healthy. Just like a teacher wants to help an underdeveloped human being become a fully developed human being. Just like a pastor wants to help the people within the community of, 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 of a brothers and sisters in the Lord grow in a trusting, flourishing, life-giving relationship with the Lord. There's just something about the way God made us that calls us to add value to the lives of other people. But the Romans weren't that interested in adding value. The Greeks, they worshiped their gods and they said, fear the gods and maybe, maybe they'll show you some favor, maybe not. We're not going to tell you. And part of me says that why is, why is it such a struggle for people who have some kind of medical concern to go through the extremely stressful process of trying to get better and having to go through a battery of tests that have no relevancy whatsoever in the end. Now, I'm not diminishing the fact that you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that it is a state of affairs that makes us question. What I am asking is, as we go through that, how come it is so difficult for our people to get better knowing that they, they, they have to go through a litany of examinations, some valid, some not invalid, to appease a flowchart that's directed by somebody who's looked at data from inside of a cubicle who is telling a doctor, we know you trained hard and invested your life in preparing for this, but at the end of the day, you're not going to do anything unless we tell you you're going to do it. All of a sudden, what was intended to be a safe and therapeutic experience becomes sort of hellish. And I ask the question as a pastor, how do I help our people navigate this? And what is the connection between what is happening there and what is happening here? Glad you asked. Because when you look at the history of the church, Jesus sends out 72 people down the road, and he says, I want you to heal them, and I want you to announce the kingdom. And they did. And then later on, the church gets established, and Peter writes an epistle, and he tells, have 
generous hospitality to such a degree that when people come into your space, their lives are changed. And I think Amy must have took that literally. And I think she's right. And in the second century, well, actually third century, around 250 A.D., the church was challenged on the healthcare front like you would not believe. Do you remember people talking about smallpox in the United States and in the Americas and how it just devastated populations of people? Well, that happened in the, in the ancient Roman world. And most people were just trying to find a way to just hunker down, be isolated, stay safe, whatever the case may be. The Roman government was making decrees about you need to go to the Asclepiums. And then there were these Christian mothers who were saying, we have people, not we have Christians, but we have unbelievers. No, they were saying, we have people that are hurting and that are abandoned and that aren't being cared for. And there was something that catalyzed in their minds that said, we got to take care of them. Not just a few women, but a critical enough mass of people began to show that kind of radical hospitality that not only said, come in and eat with us, but also come in and help us, may we help you bind up your wounds. Come in and feel a nurturing kind of love that you will not feel anywhere else except places that are sourced in the life-giving presence of Jesus. And did you know that when that epidemic, that first plague happened, the church grew by 40%. Because there was something about the connection between not just telling people, hey, you need to get saved from going to hell. No, the connection was telling people, Jesus placed me on this earth so that I could be a representation of what God looks like to you. And I think for some of us, we have an impression of who we think God is, that we need to probably reread the Gospels again and get a better bead on that, better calibrate that. And I, I would say I'm one of them. Where the more I see him, the more I see how much his heart is directed towards the pain of other people. And it's sort of a wake-up call as you go into this because you recognize the church was its best when it was the most self-giving. And in the day and age that you and I live in, it's really catered towards me, myself, and, and I. But the church had this sense that it's not about us. Is about God and the disconnect between a broken world and himself and our role as agents in closing that gap. And the hospitality that morphed into a kind of care that was risky led to a dramatic change in the temperature of the Roman Empire to such a degree that in the next, in the next century, Christians were a critical, they were the critical mass of people because they were behaving like Jesus.
It all kind of started at this, at this big event. There's a couple of points that I, I want to make about this as I kind of set the framework up that you and I need to wrap our minds around. One is that um, the hospital as we know it, and you've heard them as Methodist hospital, Catholic hospital, you know, usually there's some kind of religious connotation a, a, attached to it. Why is that? Because the Romans weren't generating hospitals. The Greeks weren't really generating hospitals. People in the, in the European um, realm weren't generating hospitals. However, Christians were. What's so fascinating is how people sensed a calling to be healers. And when you see a hospital now and you see the moniker of a Christian badging on it, you kind of roll your eyes, don't you? Like, is, I'm sure there are people there that are Christian, but you know, at the end of the day, this is a business. This is about making money. This is about the next quarter profits for our shareholders. This is about how can we get the most out of the least so that we can capture the greatest profit. That's what it's evolved into. It's lost its soul. As a pastor, I'm not saying, hey, let's start our own hospital. But I do say this, that it is more critical than ever for us to pray for people who not only are facing an illness, but having to face the difficulty of processing where do I go and who do I trust. And then in the outcome, even as bills are being paid, which can be very overwhelming, it raises a big question. Are we an Acts 2 church? Are we able to help people, believer or non-believer, like however God calls us, however God calls us, I guess that's the criteria. We're struggling in that area. And that's a pretty tall order. But the stretch is it creates a sense of faith and trust that God loves that person and their situation so much that he will provide through us, and as he provides through us, he'll provide for us. And if there's anything that I could tell you that is an earmark of a mature believer, it is, it is this, this sense of trust in the unseen power of a God who we visually can understand through the Gospels, that he not only cares, but he will provide. And for all of us, that's a stretch. Partly because we don't trust very well. And the reason we don't trust very well, part of it starts with us. Because we, as we go on to read the scripture, we find something here that I think is, is interesting. So the invalid replied, I have no one to help me out into the pool when the water is stirred. And um, we know that uh, Jesus told him, take your mat, get up. But this was on the Sabbath. And um, people were starting to not pay attention to so much who Jesus was as God as much as how Jesus was violating the rules. And so he was called out by the religious establishment saying, how are you better? Why are you carrying your mat? No, they weren't asking, how are you better? They were just asking, why are you carrying your mat? Sick guy here, 
who can't walk. Everybody's seen him for 38 years. And then there's this mat that he's carrying. And all that the religious people can see is the mat. There isn't even a sense of awareness. Hey, dude, you're walking. No. Why are you carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. Now, is there something wrong with this picture? It just means we have the capacity to get our, dist- our priorities messed up very easily. And I'd be the first in line to say, yes, that's me. But one thing I can tell you about this is John is writing this very carefully for our attention. He's wanting to showcase something about the tendency of religious people who fixate on the wrong things and they create such a, 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 a degree of drama that, well, it makes everyone around them feel insecure. And the man said, um, uh, I have no idea who he was because Jesus kind of slipped away. But the last part of the story is very telling because as we read it, it says, later Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And I, scholars are scratching, what is he sinning? Why did he say that? And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders, hey, it was Jesus. He made me well. Now, just reading between the lines here, because I know this about Jesus. He has a way of seeing your heart and my heart in a way that calls us out. And one of the things that I think he did was he said, you're a Jewish person, but you've dedicated your whole life priority-wise to a pagan pool. You need to redirect your life back to God. Jesus wasn't even acknowledging the validity of the pool. He didn't say go wash in it like he does later on in John 9. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. You get your your eyeballs uh, fixed again. No, he just says, I'm not even acknowledging that. But the religious establishment, here's why I think Here's something I think churches have had to overcome in order to be effective. That was, we have not been the safest community for people to gather. And that is, that is a work in process for all of us because we all have our own idiosyncrasies. We all have our ability of offending people or being offended We all have our ability of, you know, just rubbing people the wrong way. But grace and truth and reconciliation also are the back end of that. So I just want to to offer three things here real quickly. And that is, um, as we look at Jesus as the centerpiece of our faith, and we ask the question, what does God look like as we see Jesus? How do we see God? Because that's the whole point of his presence. And when Jesus comes and he calls us into a community, he wants us to be very intentional about that. And one of the things that he says is, when somebody's fallen, you need to help them. When there's a smallpox epidemic, you need to show hospitality. You get, you get the connection? Yet this guy is in the pagan temple, and all the pagans are just saying, hey, dude, can we help you out? Can we help you out? Can we help you out? No, you know what they're saying? Out of my way. Me first. Did you see that anywhere? Out of my way, me first. 
But the church has a different set of eyes. The me part's already been taken care of by the love and by the acceptance and the adoption into Christ's family. Now we don't have to worry about scarcity, about competing. We just got to ask the question, God, who out there has fallen? What can we do about it? One of the things that Amy's trying to do here in showing hospitality to the community is ask the question, where are these people falling at? So that we can show them through hospitality, hey, we're here to help. But here's the second thing. As I'm looking at this guy and I'm seeing that, um, well, he can't get into the pool because nobody's helping him out. He's also saying, you know, I've been in the state so long, I'm probably too numb to even want comfort. But Jesus, you know, if, if you want to do something, then make me whole. And Jesus does even more than that. And there's something about being in a space that watches out for us. Now, I'm not saying we should be comfortable to the point that we're going to take out the pews and put lazy boy couches in like the movie theater. But maybe something in between, perhaps. But what I am saying is, when people are hurting, we need to say, hey, what's going on? And to listen is to love. Not listen is to just say, hey, I hear what you're saying, but I'm busy. I hear what you're saying, but I got this agenda and this conversation. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm all ears. Tell me what you need. And I love that about the Lord. He could be doing a million things, and he's saying, I'm just focusing on this guy who's pretty broken. But here's kind of the rub, because intentional community also has to be safe. It has to be a place where a guy like that doesn't have to worry about responding to the interrogation of the religious establishment because they're just they're not saying, hey, dude, we're happy you're better. They're saying, hey, dude, breaking rules here. Better step it up. Who's influencing you to do that? We need to find out. And all of a sudden, there's this sense of there's some rules here I don't fully follow. There's some things happening. I'm anxious in this space. I'm just going to do this. Who helped you? I don't know. And then when you find out, it's like, I better tell those guys because if they find out who it is before I tell them, they're going to retaliate. Should any of that stuff happen in a church? No. Because everything we do should be premised by, by love. Even when we speak the truth, we speak the truth in love. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy working here now. And I haven't always enjoyed working here, to be honest with you. I enjoy working here because I feel safe here. And I haven't always felt safe here. And when I feel safe here and you feel safe here, I can guarantee you there's something going on in our hearts that's causing other people to feel safe here. And how many times have you asked the question to somebody, how are you doing, my friend? fine. Why? Because we know nobody really wants to hear it. But in a safe space, 
we're here for your burden. In that sense, we're here all day. In that sense, that is why we're here. Do you know of any safe spaces out there right now? Any places you can go where you don't feel threatened? Why can't the church be that place where people can say, when I go there, I can be myself. When I go there, I can be who I'm supposed to be. When, I'm, when I go there, I am made whole. Jesus took a guy that was pretty damaged on the physical front, clearly damaged on the spiritual front, and he said, my job is to make you who you're supposed to be in the first place. And that's our job. God created us to be in fellowship with him and with each other in a way that reflects a quality of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So here's how I end. Church, embody those qualities more and more. And if you say you can't, you're being honest, you can't. But if you say, will the Holy Spirit help me? I will say yes 10 times out of 10, but you have to surrender. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus or you're just putting your own toe in the water, our job is to invite you into that relationship that is hopefully one that you feel the love and the hospitality of God and it's drawing you into a body of people that are his community, that see him in their lives and want him, his life to manifest in your own. So I don't know who is in this room who hasn't been baptized. Baptism isn't the savior, but Jesus is. But it is a way of just saying, this solidifies my commitment to Jesus. And we're commanded to do it. And it's a marker in our timeline that says that's the day I became one of his people. And we want to see that happen to anyone that um, God calls into our circle. Would you pray? Our Lord Jesus, we are grateful for all that you're doing, not only in the lives of mothers who have played such a vital role in getting hospitals off the ground, we pray, Father, that you would recapture the hearts and the minds of those who oversee those institutions and that they would remember their original vision and mission for why they are called to heal in the first place. And if there are other forces that want to overshadow your glory in those places, I pray that you would just call them out in a way that marginalizes their effect and that you would recapture once again the capacity for people to heal each other and to bring the healing arts to bear in a way that's unencumbered by bureaucracy. And I pray, Father, for our people as they go through those experiences, that they would find us praying for them, that you would, in very imperfect circumstances, use them and your own presence as our great physician to bring healing to bear upon the lives of our people as that need emerges. And I pray, Father, for those who are part of this body, that we would be intentional, that we would be safe, that we would be a place where people could come and they would sense that we have their concerns in mind. 
And I just ask, Father, that you would bless that so that you would be glorified in all of it. And most importantly, Father, if there's anyone here that is not part of your fold, your family, I pray that you would give us that, that privilege to have a conversation and just show them the love that you have for them. And I just pray that there wouldn't be anyone in this room who would, who would, who would just find that unacceptable but rather see that as too, um, too compelling to ignore. So bless us, Father, as we try to be your church. May your spirit enable us to do what we can't do. And may we just trust you in faith to accomplish more than we would ever ask or imagine. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. sermon is out of my way me first how often do we do we all say that to ourselves or do and not even think about it but on this day that we honor mothers I can think of so many mothers that have never said that I think of my own mother the sacrifices that she made for us as my brothers and myself I think of my wife and the sacrifices that she's made for for our kids and I think it's only fitting that as we come to the time in our service where we think of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us that uh, we remember him as well and the ultimate sacrifice that he made so that we could spend the rest of our life with eternity in eternity with him in heaven so at this time let's ask his blessings upon this uh, cup and loaf Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special day where we honor mothers. We thank you for uh, the sacrifice that they make for us all. And we, Lord, we just thank you so much for the sacrifice that uh, you made for us as well. And uh, we ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf. In your son's name. nice to be with you all today. We are a little later than usual, so if you got to go, if you got a class to get to, um, lunch to get to, go ahead and uh, head out if you need to. We're going to close with a song like usual, um, so if you want, stand and sing, and if you got to get going, it's been nice to be with you. Happy Mother's Day. Love that's never failing 
kindness of a savior the hope of nation savior he can move the mountains my god is mighty to save he is mighty to save Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountain. My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave, shine your light, shine your light and let the whole world see, we're singing. For the glory of the risen King, Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King, Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. You rose and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. You're my Savior, you can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save, you are mighty. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Let the whole world see, singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus. Shine your light in, let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Cool. Amen. Go and enjoy time with your family. 
Have a nice day, and we'll see you next week.